0: Welcome to The Daily Boogie. Welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be something a little bit different today. Uh, As a lot of you know, I work nights. Uh, I'm a night person, naturally, um, and I live in quite a big city, a city of four million people. So there is something that's eerily beautiful about being in such a busy place in the middle of the night when no one else is around. I've always been drawn to working nights and as I was working uh, last night, I was listening to some local radio, and there was a caller on one of the local radio stations who, uh, you know, lamented the fact that the previous Prime Minister was exited from politics in the manner that he was. And, you know, this caller remarked that they felt sorry for him. And that got me thinking about some things that we've d- uh, discussed before and some underlying concepts to that. So, if you, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, uh, you might have heard some of these you know concepts before, but we're going to dive deeper into them and really try to understand what's going on here and why perhaps feeling sorry for politicians as they leave isn't necessarily the best place to direct your emotional empathy, so to speak. Um, look, so this is an episode you're not going to want to miss and i think it's a serious topic and i think it's something worth discussing in detail and when we look at politics as an institution as an environment as a function of humanity as far back as human history can record in civilization anyway there are there are fundamentals that most people don't consider either you know willingly or unwillingly or just as a a mode or a method of our conditioning in the societies that we're brought up in, in our education and our cultural heritage, so to speak. And these laws, these fundamentals of politics cut through everything. They literally apply to everyone in the political machinery, regardless of ideology, regardless of morality, regardless of intention, good, bad, or in between. These fundamental laws are always there and always present. And in this episode, we're going to explain how and why. So thanks for joining us. If you want to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you'd like to subscribe, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. Feel free to share it around if you enjoy anything, if you get anything out of this. And if you want to follow on Twitter, get involved in the conversation, please do follow me at boogie bumper. All right, let's rock and roll. I'm often amazed when I think about this, that after centuries and centuries and centuries of this wonderful experiment known as, you know, liberal democracy in the Western sphere, that there still remains a level of immaturity between the body politic and how they view their relationship to their elected representatives. And I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be coarse or offensive to anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody. This is more of a general abstract Conversation. So, what do I mean by immaturity? Well, I guess even though it's a very human trait and a very admirable trait to, you know, project one's sensibilities onto those around them and those uh, apart from us, it, it it doesn't always necessarily apply. And what I find immature is that we will look to politicians. In a, different, in a different light, and we have to cognitively discount the reality of what politics is in order to view people in certain ways. For example, when you hear people say, oh, I really like this guy, I really hate this guy, uh, you know, I feel sorry for this politician because of how things worked out. But here's the thing. Politics is either a brutal cutthroat game Or it isn't. Sometimes people will acknowledge just how brutal politics is and how vicious it can be, how serious it is, how high the stakes are. But then, you know, whether it's the commentariat or people we know or pundits, all of whom are, are like auxiliaries, leeches on the back of the political machine. They'll, they'll try to say to us, well, you know, ideals and principles. I really like this guy. I really feel sorry for this guy. It shouldn't be this way. He's a nice guy. I feel sorry for him. But is he really? You might be a nice guy. But if politics is indeed a brutal cutthroat game, with the highest stakes possible, then those projections, those emotional projections aren't necessarily valid. See, everything in politics boils down to what I would call the three laws, the three immutable laws of politics. Everything and everybody, every intention, every ideology, every morality, every person, every idea, every argument, every debate, every press release, every statement, every comment, every tweet. All has to wash through the prism of the three immutable laws of politics. And those laws are, number one, everything is based on trying to get power. Number two, keep power. Or number three, Stop somebody else from getting power. Everything bubbles on the surface of that fundamental paradigm. You don't believe me? Cool. If your dream is to turn your nation into a communist junta, to rule with an iron fist, well, you can't achieve that unless you get power Keep power and stop somebody else from getting power. You want to to return your nation to the glory days of where it was ruled by strong Christianity and morals, decency, where the people's connection to God was so strong that you couldn't walk out on a Sunday without hearing church bells. Children would recite Bible passages in school every day, all of them. Morals and ethics were assumed into the population. A kind of social enforcement over things as, you know, as simple as how you address, how you would interact with each other, marriage, courting, sex. Well, if you want to return your nation to that, you can't do it unless you get power keep power and stop somebody else from getting power. Even though the two moralities, even though the two intentions of these of this dichotomy couldn't be any more opposed than what they are, they still have to go through the same funnel of implementation. Now, you might say, well, Boogie, this doesn't apply to me. I'm a libertarian. Oh. I'm a libertarian. No, power, power, government power, state power, that's wrong. I I stand against that. I'm in favor of libertopia. I want to live in a libertarian society with self-governing individuals, not individuals being governed. Great. How do you propose you get there? how do you get to the point of a libertarian society unless you first get power? How does your libertarian society survive a day unless you keep it? And how do you ensure that your libertarian society lives on for your children and their children unless you stop somebody else from getting power as well? What if, you, what if libertarian isn't far enough? What if you're an anarchist? What if you want to remove all power from, from all government power? You're not even a minarchist. No state. Fantastic. How do you, if, if the enemy is the power of the state, how do you propose you remove the power from the state if you yourself have no power? In a stateless society, in an an, anarchistic utopia, how do you propose it stays that way unless your power of there being no power is never challenged? How do you dissolve the state and remove power from the arteries of the government machine without first taking power yourself? Despite the most noble intentions, whichever side of the spectrum you're on, any outcome, any gain, anything your heart desires can only be achieved by getting power, keeping power, and stopping someone else from taking it. If you can't get power, your ideology, whatever it is, is a baby Hitler being smothered in the cradle. Before you can inflict any real change on the world, before you can bring any kind of social justice to the rest of society, before you can release the grip, the vice grip that the state has around the necks of the population, before you can do any of that. If you can't get power in the first place, your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, your goals amount to precisely nothing. If you can't keep power once you have it, then your dreams of a communist revolution die with you. When you go, it goes. If you're removed from power, so too are your dreams and your ambitions and your goals what you want to achieve. If you can't stop your ideological opponents from getting power in the future, then your plans and projections into the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years are unfortunately null and void. And there's nothing that you can do about it. We've often spoken about, haven't we, this idea of liking politicians and disliking politicians. I like him. I hate him. I like his personality. I hate her personality. I like the way she handles herself. He's a weakling. It's, it's, it's all effectively garbage. The only thing that really matters is effectiveness. Is that person effective or not? If you have a politician that comes from your quote unquote team, your quote unquote ideological platform, would you prefer someone that you like who's completely ineffective in implementing your goals or would you prefer someone that you don't like who's really effective at either getting power, keeping power or stopping your opponents from getting it? like or dislike, it's irrelevant. Effective or ineffective is the only thing that matters in this context. And, you know, the lust for power, it's it's not just a political thing. It's something that transcends politics. It's something that is inherent in the human condition. If politics is a gateway to achieving the most power possible, how do you think you're going to stop people with lust for power from entering into that space? It's the opposite. It's a magnet. It's an attractive flame to a moth. A cold distilled liquor with a little bit of condensation on the outside of the glass to an alcoholic. It's the hit to the junkie in a back alley. It must be had. The lust is insatiable. And you might say, well, Boogie, those who seek power, they're evil. Okay. So how do you propose to stop them? Unless you yourself get power. Keep power and stop them from taking it. What's your alternative? Do you even have one? Well, I'll just continue to say the right things and people will eventually agree with me. Your intentions might be that good, but in the face of true, absolute, tyrannous, villainous power... Do you think they have to agree with you or disagree with you? Or can they merely just get rid of you? You know, you might think of the most brutal dictatorships that have ever existed. Left, right, I don't even care. Irrelevant. They all exist on the same track, don't believe me? The brutal, bloodthirsty dictatorships of times past and times present. They'll suppress their opponents. They'll oppress their opponents. They'll slaughter their enemies. Why? To keep power. And to stop someone else from taking it. No, of course, this is not an endorsement of a brutal dictatorship. If you th- if you believe that from... That, then I'm sorry, this isn't the podcast for you. (laughs) You may find more fertile intellectual ground elsewhere, comrade, but not here. But the reality is the same. The brutal dictator first needs to get power in order to exercise his will, his goals, his morality. His ideology, his intention onto his sphere of influence, his nation, his people. Everything he does from that point is then an effort to keep power. To stay there. For if he does not, if he shall if he should be felt, if he should fall then the revolution dies with him. It's over. And if he doesn't eliminate his enemies, then he can't ensure that his ideology, his morality, his intention will live on after he doesn't. Keeping power where he feels it should be. Now, of course, in our part of the world, in our part of the civilised world, we don't go that far, but is it really any different? The brutal dictator is just taking the three laws of politics to their logical end, the most vicious end. And of course, it doesn't mean that it always works out in the way that the dictator wants it to. Usually, dictators fall because they can't keep power or they can't stop somebody else from taking it from them. For whatever reason. Here in the West, we don't murder our enemies, our ideological opponents, thank God. For now, at least. Doesn't mean we haven't in the past. We've certainly been there. Not for a while. But we've definitely been there. Why the history of Europe is arguably the most bloodthirsty, war-filled, misery-laden history known to man. But we like to think that we've matured a little bit. So then I ask, why is it that we can view politics today with such immaturity? Not understanding that all that we see taking place in front of us, all that we see in this ridiculous reality TV show that we're living in, that we are unwilling participants in, whether we like it or not, That everything that we see before us is an effort to either get power, keep power, or stop somebody else from taking power. We've spoken about the fear campaign before, let's touch on it again. Why would somebody accuse another politician, their ideological opponent, of using a fear campaign? Stooping to such a low, how could you? How immoral of you to try and use fear? Well, politics is either a brutal cutthroat game with incredibly high stakes, or it isn't. So why wouldn't people use fear? To the person who accuses me of using fear, I say, so what? Everything is arguably based on fear in politics. Don't believe me? On one side, you've got fear of climate change, fear of free speech, fear of deregulation, fear of free markets. Fear of a world without the safe space. On the other side, you might have fear of mass migration, fear of high taxation, fear of Marxism, whatever fear it is. Justified or not, perceived or real, intense or otherwise, it's all based on fear. So again, it speaks to that immaturity. That the body politic of Western nations has today, collectively. Not everyone. But a lot of people, too many. And why would a politician use fear? Why would the political machinery use fear to achieve its goals, its aims, its ends? Well, fear is a very powerful motivator. Fear can make people do things that they never, never normally would. And why does the political machinery need us to be motivated in order to achieve the primary immutable laws of politics to either get power, keep power, or stop somebody else from taking it? And you can see once we start looking at it through that prism, once we start addressing the problem of politics in that paradigm, how silly and pointless The game of rhetorical ping-pong we have with those on the opposite side is instantly. How one's deeply held, you know, arguments and debates and concerns just evaporate into the ether. Why would a politician accuse somebody of racism? Why would politicians demand apologies from other politicians? this business of demanding apologies. If, if I demand an apology from you, are you giving me a genuine apology? Think of the times that you've watched politicians demand apologies from other politicians only to see that politician crawl out with his tail between his legs, shaking like a leaf on a windy day, on an autumn tree, and then give it up. I'm sorry. My comments, I'm sorry for my offensive comments. Does this take away the original sin of the offence in the first place? Does it ease the harm that was allegedly caused in the victims, perceived or otherwise? If I demand an apology from you and you give it to me, Who has power in this relationship? Are you getting power at that point? Am I keeping a power over you? With the ability to make you denounce your own words, your own speech, your own opinions, your own arguments, your own comments? Am I keeping you from power? by presenting you as weaker than myself. Getting power, keeping power, and stopping other people from taking power. So what if your intentions are pure? What if you do not have a villainous bone in your body? Not an ounce of tyranny exists in your being. You're purely a morally good-centred individual. If your intentions are good, is your power a means to an end? The end being maybe, uh, I don't know, a society where social justice is supreme. Or a society without corruption. A political system without a swamp. A safe and secure border. An end to the predatory practising of the banks. More justice for the workers. A feminist society where women are in charge. Morality is a very individual thing. Even those marching in the streets with black masks attacking others believe in their heart of hearts that they are morally in the right but let's just say for argument's sake that you have only pure good intentions the need for power is still there you need to get power keep power and stop your opponents from taking it if you want to achieve your end what if what if you're on the other side what if you're a villainous totalitarian, brutal dictator type. You want to be the next Pol Pot. You want to be the next Adolf Hitler or Stalin. You want to enforce your version of morality, your ideology on people, whether they like it or not. With ruthless efficiency, you plan to suppress your opponents and eliminate would-be threats. With evil intentions, is your power an end from which you can justify the means? Because of course with evil intentions, when power is reached, you can rewrite history to whatever narrative you need to make you look like the good guy. Is power a means to an end? Or is power an end from which to justify your means? whether it's for good intentions, a means to an end, or evil intentions, an end to justify the means. Power is the intersection. It is the cross-section that goes through all decisions, all debates, all arguments, all ideologies, all intentions, all moralities. It is the ever-present, immutable law of politics. and there's no escaping it. There is only understanding it. And perhaps if we did a little better to understand it, with some kind of maturity about what it means, when we watch the idiotic rhetorical ping pong play out in front of our very eyes, we perhaps might be in a better place to assess things for what they really are thanks for joining us guys if you want to become a supporter please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper if you'd like to become a subscriber and share the show please do hit the subscribe button and if you'd like to get involved in the conversation hit me up on twitter at boogie bumper tomorrow night the the live free for all 11pm eastern time thanksgiving day special it will be thanksgiving obviously in the united states but that's okay should be a nice clear airway while everybody is snoring on the lounge after eating way too much turkey and trimmings and drinking far too much beer watching the football (laughs) so the few of you who are willing and able i'll see you then for the rest happy thanksgiving until next time guys stay calm stay rational god bless we'll see you soon bye-bye